travel isn't always pretty. You go away, you learn. You get scarred, marked, changed in the process. You inspire so many people with the show. You have a good karma. Good karma? I think so. Well... <laughs> Uh, all right, everybody, welcome in. We're Matt and Bob. We're here to pod, and you're listening to the Analysis. Bob, we got a big one today. This one hits close to home. Uh, we're going to take a, uh, a culinary journey, a cook's tour, if you will. I'm, of course, talking about Pig, starring Nicolas Cage. <sighs> I just want to talk to my pig. I need my pig. I don't have sex with the pig. I didn't fuck the pig, but I love yeah. her. Yes, chef. Yes, chef. Uh, we'll get to that later. But no, I'm, of course, talking about Roadrunner, the documentary about uh, my man, Anthony Bourdain. Uh, I've seen it twice now. Uh, you just put it down the other day. I went opening weekend in theaters. Um, modest uh, returns at the box office. But considering the pandemic, I think it was the uh, highest grossing documentary of the year. With this is million. how we do it. <laughs> Solid three mil. Um, so yeah, we'll see. But uh, what what were your thoughts? Because I know because it's gonna be interesting. Because I've uh, a lot of the clips that are used in this I've seen already. I've seen on most of his shows. Um, and you you're kind of fairly new to him. Uh, I was just curious as uh, what was your experience with the documentary? Well, when I first saw the trailer for it, it seemed like it would be pretty heavy. He was already somebody who had a lot of dense themes and he talked very poetically through his show about uh, many different things and and you know definitely tried to suck the marrow out of life if you will and and really understand the human condition which was a very interesting place for for him to go from being basically a kitchen celebrity. And so I so I know that he's always been really important to you, but to your point, I've never watched Parts Unknown. I've only seen things that were Anthony Bourdain from living with you. They were just on as I was kind of passing through the living room or, or anything like that. And then once you moved to L.A., I didn't ever really come across Anthony Bourdain unless he was showing up with a guest appearance in the big short or something but i always knew that he was kind of this cultural lightning rod for travel and humanity and so it always seemed like something i should probably start to watch even before he died right and then he died and obviously like that was a huge impact on you and i saw the trailer come out and i was like oh and and then we started talking about it and i was like this is a, a great opportunity a great bridge for me to kind of get into Bourdain and I'm almost working backwards from most of the people that are seeing this documentary which are going and and they've been a fan for a long time and they've read the book and now this is a documentary that's putting it all together I'm almost seeing the whole picture and then working backwards and getting the details later but I just I really align and I understand why you are such a fan because I align with a lot of his perspective and it's complicated but I, I thought it was really uh, well done documentary how did you feel being being the fan yeah it was kind of a lot to unpack 
But it's the thing about uh, Tony is just like he gave a fuck about all the right things. Yeah, like, there's so many great quotes. First of all, I mean, I I got to him a little late, so he had already done no reservations. I haven't seen a lot of those episodes, and then he does the layover for the travel show, which was like. If you're flying into the airport, use this train, maybe take this taxi, go here, do this. It was very, like, useful travel guide on television. It was less of his – I mean, he was definitely snarky and ironic in the show. It was definitely his least – he definitely probably enjoyed it the least because it's he's not really tackling the human condition. He's literally like, if you're in town for 12 hours, here's what you got to do. Um, so it was kind of a boiled-down version of, of everything he brought to – to the world of travel and, and and also kind of the more humanitarian aspects of the shows. And then you get into parts unknown and you're kind of discovering, you know, places he's revisiting, you know, going back to Beirut, uh, which I think was a turning point for his show we can get to um, that they cover in the documentary. Um, so, yeah, it's it's kind of it. It's been an interesting ride. And, and but the fact that, yeah, when he passed away and then a lot of people kind of came to him that way, um just meant so much to so many people. I, because I, I, I know you know Robin Williams. I'm always reminded, mm-hmm. kind of similar men in that just gave so much to the world and made and made such an impact on people, but um, but could not get out of their own way of their own unhappiness and also left behind daughters they both cherish. So it, I kind of some parallels were ran there. Um, but in terms of watching the movie, I think ultimately. Um, you know, there's a lot of like negative. There's some negativity surrounding it. Yes, they used an AI voice. But, yeah. But the, I think ultimately it was well made. Uh, so the director uh, has done uh, Twenty Feet from Stardom and uh, Won't You Be My Neighbor? Great documentaries as well. I think Twenty Feet from Stardom won the Oscar because I remember some of the people who were featured in it got up yeah. on stage and sang a song, or they did they did just a quick bit or something on the Oscar stage. So. Successful documentarian. It is, yeah, exactly. And I think he he structures this in, in a good spot where, and I think one of the the early um, public or producers of Cook's Tour, uh, who's been there since the beginning, she mentions like, you're not going to make this about just him committing suicide, right? This this has to be a celebration of his life and his achievements. And I think it was. It's you know, it's for people that haven't read Kiffin Top Kitchen Confidential, like. How did this guy become who he is and why does he have the best job in the world? It's like, well, he was kind of plucked from obscurity, thrust into overnight stardom, almost like Oasis, just like a meteoric rise from the sale of that book. And then two, two uh, a husband-wife duo uh, pull him to Japan and like, let's figure this out. And it's just like mm-hmm. three people walking around town. And it was really cool to see him discover the show from that. The amount of footage they have from that when he's still at uh, Le Hall, it was amazing. Like I, because the second the it, the book had was on the cusp of becoming a national bestseller, and they're already filming him, and we and we have that footage. I thought that was a really cool pull for for the documentary. Um, well, it even and you and you're right that they take you through as as a proper documentary. I feel should, but they take you through the evolution of the, the career and even just interviewing the people who published the book and it was a friend of his that read an email it's like oh this guy is really interesting do you have any more of this he's like oh yeah i wrote this whole memoir (laughs) it's like oh this is incredible here we go and we're off to the races and then 
to watch that, as you say, meteoric rise was was interesting in its own. And I really started to get interested in his just openness and ability to say yes to things, even if he had no skill or relevant in that space. Like the, the television producers come to him and they're like, what do you think? And he's like, yeah, sure. And he... They, they say early on it's it's really painful. He, he doesn't really have a television personality. Like, he doesn't know yeah. what he's supposed to be doing. And he, in a lot of ways, was an introverted or introspective man. And so they had to kind of, as you said, figure it out as they go along. The production crew themselves and also Bourdain. But then you you're, they have so much footage. I mean, ha- most of his life he's being followed by cameras in, yeah. in different ways. But they have these, these moments where he starts to click and he's like, okay. And then... The show evolves from there, and I I really loved that they said it's not, he didn't want to, and they didn't know this when they started out, but he didn't want it to be just a travel companion piece, and he really started to focus on the fact that people aren't statistics, and that there's a value in showing the little things, and and these slices of life and, and this humanitarian approach to it is really what differentiated him amongst all these other bullshit travel shows. And and I think that's really interesting. And I loved the fact that he has this scientific mind. He has this approach to where he wants to be proven wrong or he wants to learn things. He's not going there as an expert to teach mm. you something. It's like... I'm here, this is a totally new thing, here are going to be the little discoveries that I make along the way, and I'm excited to be wrong about my perceptions going into a place. Oh, 100%. I mean, that's, um, yeah, it's so funny you say that, because I have, uh, you know, his the, the last book that, he didn't write this, he was kind of, uh, his assistant pretty much put together a uh, transcript of all, like, his favorite memories from the shows, but on the back cover, there's this great quote, it has, so many of the good times traveling this world relate directly to finding a human face to associate with your destination. The food you eat and the memories you'll keep with you forever. The best times are when it's impossible to be cynical about anything, when you find yourself letting go of the past and your preconceptions, and fear yourself and your basic nature, the snarkiness and suspicion, the irony and doubt disappear, at least for a time, when for a few moments or a few hours, you change. Yeah, just like you were saying about just being open to everything, because what's so interesting is that, yes, he had this encyclopedic, you know, reference level, which I kind of relate to. But they're like they they had they were discovering that, wait, this guy's only traveled in his mind. He actually. Yeah, he's never been out of New York. (laughs) Yeah. But then he's writing these brilliant essays back to this guy, this or emails. It's like uh, what the the pale faced wanderer belly full of, you know, duck fat, blah, 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 the. Uh, it just like his observations of, of a group of people wa- uh, walking through a city center. Um, I, I love that that's how he kind of got his break with the show or that how he was able to transition his writing to get people noticed. Yeah, it, I, I think that there's there's a, a quote that I read. And also, thank you for reading that, because that was just beautiful in, in its own way, like that that little line that you ripped off there. But he has a line in the documentary that I really liked and I wrote down, which was travel isn't always pretty. It's mm-hmm. not this glamour fest and that you get scarred and marked and changed in the process and it even breaks your heart. And that can also be, and this is me now riffing off of that, but that like like having your heart broken through travel or, or realizing something or seeing 
the, the challenge in this world gives you a different perspective on humanity and and the fact that they were able to capture that is is really cool but then you start to see the turn of and and i think when when you make the comparison to robin williams that's really interesting because there's also there's obviously pain and tragedy there and he very much wanted to be a regular father and and be a a good person and so they're also interviewing people from his life whether it's like a rock musician or friends that he's collaborated with but they're talking about the hey sometimes for tony the best part about his work was coming home but also the best part was leaving home and going back out again and he just could never find that balance and it just ate away at him his inevitable deficiencies as a parent and that that was really sad the bittersweet curse i forget that guy's name but from the queens of the stone age there was good moments with him where it's like and it's so true right it's like you look forward to going on vacation just as much as you look forward to being able to come home but then as soon as you're home and you're in your bed for a few nights you're like man i would love to like go back out there so yeah so i have his appetites cookbook and it was kind of an interesting part of his life where he's like you know what I'm going to come home. I'm going to be the good father, be the good husband. And uh, we'll, we'll do, we'll make this work. And he's like, I've never been happier and blah, 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 blah. But then he just gets that itch. He's just got to get back out there traveling 250 days a year. Yeah. So he, he, he complained about it, but he also loved it. It was just, it was just him. And it, it, it is really hard to kind of, you know, watch him yo-yo like that. And yeah. And I think that's why it's called Roadrunner, right? And they they mm-hmm. phrase it at the end of the documentary, but they say he's a runner and and he ran for a long time, but you can't outrun pain. And you can try to fill your pain and he was an addict and he he tried to fill it with being productive. He tried to fill it with this this zest for travel and food and humanity and parenting but after a while all of those demons that he found that turned him to heroin yeah. were still there under the surface according to right. the documentary at least and i think this really interesting one of his buddies was like he talked all the time about this music and he would he would talk just romantically about different music but he would always play me this song as his favorite song and he's like this is heroin music like yeah. he's still like this heroin addict under all of this surface Chasing the dragon. Yeah. So. But by the way, uh, just because I thought about South Park right there, um, <laughs> did you see he was on uh, Yo Gabba Gabba Live? Yeah. You know part? <laughs> Do you think he tamed some strange? Tamed some strange. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. No. I just. I just think it. There's so much great parts of the documentary that they, they refer to him as an unmuscled James Bond. It's like he's like this. There's a lot of film elements to it, right? Because they also talk about Vietnam a lot. They talk about loves apocalypse apocalypse now now and how he like basically tried to have that guerrilla approach to his show. Yeah, when they were going going down the Congo, he's like (laughs) that was one of the most brutal episodes to watch because everybody is miserable and he's all pissed off. He's like trying to hack away at this chicken uh, via headlamp and the swarming flies, mosquitoes, and the dulled knives. And it was like really like yeah, Colonel or not Colonel Kurtz, but uh, I mean yeah, Martin Sheen's character. Which will the they film. say? Which one was Willard. he? Was he Kurtz or will? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Just I mean, he really put himself in because he wanted to have that experience. It looked brutal. It must have been a just a nightmare shoot. Um, but he really got up in there. I mean, we mentioned it before, but I think Beirut was probably the turning point of his career, or at least when 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 they're at this hotel and there's a war. 
happening and bombs are dropping, he's like, you know what? Fuck this. I'm not doing this bullshit. Uh, like we're, we're not turning this into a show. Like this, this is going to mean something. And I, I think that's where yeah. it's going to click, click for him. Mm-hmm. You're And you're not going to exploit this. And this is going to be about truth and not drama. It's, it, it is really interesting. And it, it, he also just like any great artist had such an attention to detail and it was interesting listening to the people who collaborated on that show, whether it's the producers, the cameraman or stuff, but just like how he was never satisfied with a product and was always trying to take it to new levels. And then you start to add the element of his romantic partner who starts to come in and collaborate on the show. And then it just goes sideways, like towards the end. And like, uh, man, there was was a lot of, there was just a lot happening in it. And, um, I, I just, it it definitely got me interested. I've now have kitchen confidential on audiobook, which I'm chipping away at while I'm doing these marathon runs and stuff. Just a really interesting dude. And I think there's, there's something to be said about living in the moment. I don't think we do it enough as a society. And another thing that makes people endeared to, guys like Bill Murray or people like Bourdain or people like Robin Williams that are just constantly having interactions or relate relationships with people and, and focusing on just being in the moment and having experiences. We should do more of that as a society. And I think that's why we always are drawn to people that do that as a, as a regular part of their brand. Well, yeah, people that that gets so close to greatness that they border on insanity and genius. I mean, that it's such yeah. this tightrope work. I, they're uh, in the documentary. I forget who's talking about it, but it's, it's really cool. They're talking about how uh, you know how Icarus flew too close to yeah. the sun, but you know people forget that Icarus flew. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, he went too close, but he was flying. And all, what was the line? It was like, uh, you know, I like to think of it like he was coming to the end of his triumph, not failing yeah um which i thought was really like a really sweet kind of sentiment and then or or can you can you achieve artistic greatness without suffering and that's speaking of um, more on the same of of robin williams but like was the suffering part of what drove him to greatness well those are interesting uh, questions to try to david cho uh, i think says that when he's painting him he's like it is great art yeah born of true suffering and do you just keep suffering or do you not make great art i mean mm-hmm. like i think you just keep suffering um but no i um yeah I, I think it's a super successful documentary i think uh you know ultimately the end is uh, i i i just really respect the amount of co-workers and friends they got to be on the documentary it kind of gives it a uh yeah justification uh, you know um i think it's not some third por- party voyeurism which i think was also funny they kind of mentioned that he starts off as a voyeur and becomes like a great american storyteller yeah um, or his heroes were hunter s thompson and jack kerouac and bill burrows yeah so punk rockers all that stuff is kind of mixed into this recipe dish called anthony bourdain um and yeah, the the overwhelming thing I took away from from the end, while hard to watch, was also like, you know, he w- he was clean and sober, and it was a clean, clear decision. Yeah, I th- I think uh, the best maybe explanation I heard in the documentary was that look, this guy was a storyteller. I th- you know he's gonna write his own way out. Um, it was just I don't know, maybe yeah. he just c- couldn't see a way out from the free fall he he saw himself in. It was 
and I think they did a they did a respectful job of not blaming yeah. his romantic partner and and the failure of that relationship on the suicide and he had one of his best friends said listen tony killed himself and don't be out here blaming anybody for it like these were this is a a very thoughtful man who obviously made these decisions on his own and it's not anyone else's fault besides his own And, and there was problems well before this relationship had even happened so i think that was respectful and uh obviously was responsible as well Responsible, respectful, yeah. And then people point to this AI thing, which I think is so overblown. I mean, okay, yeah, it was a, a personal letter he wrote to uh, David Chow about, hey, look, man, you know, you're also successful. Are, are, are you happy? Like, I don't, I don't think I'm, I'm happy. Um, and yeah, so he start, he's doing, he's reading this letter that Tony wrote to him, and then it kind of fades into Tony's voice that they're able to recreate it. I don't, I don't know how that that works, but it, it was his words, um, and you can kind of. St- you can kind of, if you're looking for it, you can kind of tell, but I don't find that to be disrespectful considering the fact that he wrote the letter. I don't know. What did you, what was your takeaway from the controversy? controversy? I, I think that it can be problematic when you start to add, and as we advance in technology and there's resources to start to make you feel that the narrative is discredited, I think it can be problematic. In this particular yeah. case, I'm going to look the other way for all the reasons you just said. I think in general, I I understand the sentiment of we can't just be out here manufacturing things that support the point of view for our story. And if I'm sure there's some sort of documentary ethics that people are debating for for me, it, it doesn't, it doesn't discredit the story to me, but I think I can see where it's problematic in the same. So I, I guess I'll just sit on the fence. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I could see Bourdain maybe having a problem. I mean, because his bullshit radar was so dialed in. It's just he had such an, an ear for anything unauthentic and, and kind of sensationalized. So I don't know. I, yeah, I guess maybe I'll stay on the fence as well. I'm not sure how he would have taken that or, or, or what. But mm-hmm. I do think he would have enjoyed his uh, murals being defaced at the yes, end. Yes, that was cool. That was funny. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, well, cool, man. I, um, yeah, well, us squirrel bald nerds, well, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll get to enjoy, uh, his great legacy. And, and, uh, let me just leave, I'll leave us with one more quote I love here. It's, uh, uh, it was what, Negroni Day on June 27th. And, you know, he's known for liking Negronis, but he's got this, I forget where this comes from, but it's, uh, the quote is this. Eat at a local restaurant tonight. Get the cream sauce. Have a cold pint at 4 o'clock at a mostly empty bar. Go somewhere you've never been. Listen to someone you think may have nothing in common with you. Order the steak rare. Eat an oyster. Have a Negroni. Have two. Be open to a world where you may not understand or agree with the person next to you, but have a drink with them anyways. Eat slowly. Tip your server. Check in on your friends. Check in on yourself. Enjoy the ride. Uh, and that's, that's what awesome. I try to do, man. You do. I, I say you live that life a, a lot better than I do, and I'll uh, I'll I'll continue to try to try to get there. But enjoy the just enjoy the, enjoy ride, the ride. I mean, get the cream yeah, sauce. Get the it. cream sauce. Uh, all right, cool. Well, that's uh, highly recommend the Roadrunner. It's now available to stream. I think it's still twenty bucks, but uh, it's got to be coming to HBO Max soon. I mean, they produce the damn thing, so. Any minute now, you'll be able to toss that on. But uh, I'm a I'm a huge fan. 
uh, obviously. So, uh, but uh, you want to transition into pig? Is Let's that, get the uh, transition going. Let's go to pig yeah. fucking. I'm looking for a truffle pig. Someone's star. I don't understand. Um, Nicholas Cage, weird guy. Obviously, he does. He he's in it. Why? I can't believe I wasn't in that movie. He'll. I mean, he'll do anything. This this trailer looked like it. It it was going to be hilarious. The movie is a serious consideration. Yes. <laughs> this. So let's let me start here, Hayes. The audience expectation is going to be totally turned on its head because you you never know with these Nick Cage movies whether he's going to be chainsaw fighting cannibal biker gangs or whether he's going to do these slow burn introspective think pieces. And so it starts off before you even see anything. It starts off with the production slates and it's showing all the different, you know, how there was almost there's a bit in in family guy where peter griffin sits down to watch a movie and he keeps getting tricked by the production company's logos that are coming across and he's like oh this has got oh this is this guy looks like he's in trouble this is gonna be good oh no it's it's wounded arm guy's movie (laughs) movie production company so anyway there's like (laughs) nine of them and he keeps getting tricked and i was like that there was like 14 production companies with this movie so you're already like i'm i'm in for one here (laughs) this is gonna be a ride and then, yeah, it's this, like, you think, like, the pig, by the trailers, your expectation is pig gets stolen, he's going to go on a rampage, chopping heads off, you know, I thought 100 bodies pretty... in the wake for this pig. Yeah, the, the, the truffle pig hunter version of John Wick. Yes! Uh, yes. <laughs> and it's so not that at all. It's this deeply dark, disturbed former michelin star celebrity chef who's living in the 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 oregon wilderness uh just complete and just just selling his truffles to get by um and then and then he yeah he's just in search of this pig and uh he come comes into the big bad who's like running this mafia operation and i'm I'm not sure how much i want to give away i definitely think it's worth a watch yeah, it's but, it's definitely not what you think, though. It is this journey, and, and the kid from Hereditary is in it, and he, he's he's interesting. He he's he's had an interesting career so far, just on the indie scenes with with all these kind of smaller type of movies. But they it, it's it's definitely this slow integration back to society for this singular purpose and it's it's definitely not a bloodthirsty action riot which i i think that the trailer was even trying to get us to think it's like here's that crazy nick cage movie you've been waiting for and it's just the the joke the, the the bit almost culturally is just like what is he up to now you know but they're going to tune on this movie and they're going to get a totally different thing than they were expecting and that could that could bring problems i think people would be frustrated with the the product not that it's a bad movie but just that it's not what they were expecting what what was so the the underground front of house waiters uh society where it's like how long can you stand up to getting punched in the face (laughs) what 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 what, (laughs) where did that come from what was that yeah that was like a fight club throwback weird fight club for white waiters Yeah. yeah because um, you've just been fucking beating down your whole goddamn day you gotta let off some steam and fucking slam on each other yeah and so they hire these degenerates just to see how long they can go and they'll pay them money based on 
that there, there was a lot of kind of dark alleys to this movie, but I found myself interested the whole way, and I can't. I'm I'm not exactly sure how it ends now that I'm trying to think about it, which is I guess good because I don't want to give it away. But well, I will say it ends with one of my favorite songs. There's there's an element of someone singing a song, and it's Bruce Springsteen's "I'm on Fire." And oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It I actually really liked how the movie ended. I thought it was poetic in its own way. I think I mean I think Nick Cage really carries the screen here. Um, and he's got such a, a intensity that you you know these like these pissant uh, celebrity chefs with their you know their foams and their balloon of uh, bone marrow or whatever uh, are like terrified and in in awe of this even though he's bloodied and probably smells like shit (laughs) living on his own ass for (laughs) digging in the fucking dirt for the last 20 years but it's also it is interesting now that you mentioned fight club because do you remember the scene in fight club where he steals the guy's wallet and he tells him if if i'm gonna check back with you in six months and if you're not gonna be a veterinarian i'm gonna you know come back and kill you and how he said lewis's world his breakfast is gonna taste better tomorrow and and all that all the great brad pittness of that scene there's a little bit of a moment like that in this one where he's talking to a former sous chef of his and he's talking about like how this isn't real and he's like these these people aren't real and your food's not real and your kitchen isn't real and the fact that you put so much of your personal weight into this is like, he's like, Oh yeah. He has that really nice scene with one of the people who are, where he's trying to get information on where the pig might be. And th- it, that seems, seems very similar to him trying to, him trying to get a break, get a breakthrough with this now star chef in Portland. Yeah. You're totally versus right. Lewis's wallet. Cause he was like, uh, what happened to that bar you wanted to open or that, that British. Yeah. Bar? You wanted to do a bistro bar and where, yeah. where's that at? And you think this is success? Like, no, you're not actually doing what you want to do. Yeah. This is just like an Alinea knockoff or, uh, name any, name any mm-hmm. restaurant. Um, yeah, well the, that, that the, was the that Adler kind of... in San Francisco. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Meal. Great meal. Great meal. Never heard anyone complain. No, not, not a single, not a single complain. Um, all right. Well, yeah, yeah. That's so that surprised me in a really good way. So, pig starring Nick Cage. If you want to get a little weird, give uh, it a it's not. Com- yeah, give it a stream. It's not completely outlandish. It actually does have merit. So that was kind of a fun one, uh, and a nice little through line. The uh, two uh, culinary masterminds. <laughs> Maybe one more uh, in in the real world. Both eccentric in their own ways. Yeah. Exactly. Countercultural icons um okay cool well let's let's cut it there nice little even 30 and uh thanks for jumping on the pod and uh chatting bourdain with me Bob. absolutely man i'll play you out with a little bruce springsteen i'm on fire cover uh, enjoy that as opposed to the heroin music <laughs> you want heroin music i'll get you heroin music you can do heroin music to this anyway thanks guys for listening don't forget to follow and give us a like give us some reviews if you enjoyed yourself here and we will see you down the road. Enjoy the ride. Bye. Bye.